Thank you for that ministry and music. Throughout every age, there have been religious teachers that have taught that no one has anything to fear with regards to God's judgment. These religious teachers provide comfort to those who, in spite of rejecting God's authority and wanting to continue in their sinfulness, assure them that they will never experience God's judgment. In the book of Jeremiah, it reads, Also, among the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing, the committing of adultery and walking in falsehood, and they strengthen the hands of evildoers, so that no one has turned back from his wickedness. All of them have become to me like Sodom and are inhabitants like Gomorrah. Jude speaks of that situation in his day. In Jude chapter 1 verse 4, if you haven't turned in your Bibles there yet, Jude 4 reads, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who have long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Certainly, the strengthening of the hands of evil ones to do good, uh, excuse me, to continue in their sinfulness and a failure to recognize the judgment of God is prolific in our day. A few Sundays ago, I made reference to Rob Bell's book entitled Love Wins, which has a rejection of a traditional view of hell and sees no one is coming under that kind of, of condemnation. But is that thinking really all that prevalent? And I would say to you, it certainly is. According to world religiosity studies conducted in 2007, it found 83% of Americans believe in a heaven. 88% of Americans believe in a heaven. 13% believe in a hell. 13% of, of, of people in the United States believe in hell. Now, we're supposedly a Christian nation in the minds of some. And certainly there is a, a strong religious movement in our country. And yet, 13% say that there is a hell. There was an article in USA Today, August 1st, 2009. It was entitled, Americans don't believe in hell, but what about pastors? Americans don't believe in hell, but what about pastors? They interviewed Kurt Sells. He is the director of the Global Center at Samford University's Beeson Divinity School. That's a very, very famous preaching school here in the United States where people go to hone their skills and practice their preaching. He was asked by USA Today concerning the practices of pastors 
on preaching concerning hell. He said, and I quote, I think it's such a difficult and important biblical topic, said Kurt Sell, director of the Global Center at Stanford University's Beacon Divinity School. There is a big challenge that's taken place as far as evangelicals not wanting to be as exclusive. At the recent annual Beacon Pastor Schools, Sells led two workshops to discuss whatever happened to hell. He asked how many of the pastors had ever preached a single sermon on hell. Not one had. I think it's something people want to avoid, he said. I understand why. It's a difficult topic. When you're trying to market Jesus, sometimes there's a tendency to mute traditional Christian symbols, he said. Difficult doctrines are left by the wayside. Hell is a morally repugnant doctrine. People wonder why God would send people to eternal punishment. Either way, Sell said, pretending that hell doesn't exist or trying to preach around it short-circuits the Bible. This is a doctrine, a, teach, a teaching that's being neglected in churches, Sell said. It needs to be preached. It's part of the gospel. End quote. But here is an example. The most famous preaching school in the United States and the classes coming to hone their skills, not one pastor had ever preached a single sermon on hell. Now that's striking. That's striking. It's also understandable. But if you're going to preach exegetically through the Bible, you are certainly going to encounter hell as we do this morning as we are working our way through uh, this text in the book of Jude. Jonathan Edwards has preached undoubtedly the most famous sermon in the history of this nation entitled Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It was uh, greatly used of God to promote revival in the New England states. And it's studied today in textbooks, but oftentimes kind of as a snapshot of what America was like in the times of the Puritans. But certainly it is a snapshot of an era long gone. People are not preaching those kinds of sermons today. We are exhorted in Jude chapter 1 verse 3. Behold, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I thought the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, that you strive for the faith, that you guard the faith, that you defend the faith, that you stand up for the faith, that which was once for all handed down to the saints. Why do we need to contend, verse 4, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. The turn the grace of God into a license, an excuse for sin, 
and deny the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Today, we need to see that contending for the faith regarding judgment is a serious matter. Today we look at the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah as an example of God's judgment that will come in the future. Verse 7 is our text today. Look with me at verse 7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they were in the same way as these, indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. So the theme is, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah serve as an example of a judgment to come upon all those who live centrally and reject the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we work our way through this verse, there are some very important things that we need to keep in mind. The first is that the sinfulness of the false teachers and those that follow them is to be compared to the sinfulness of Sodom and Gomorrah. Notice verse 7. Just as, just as, in the same way, in keeping with Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities round about them. There is a comparison that's to be made to Sodom and Gomorrah and these false teachers and the teaching that they promote. From which we learn the following. First, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were not unique in their sinfulness. They were not unique in their sinfulness. That is, that the sins which were committed in Sodom and Gomorrah were not sins that were committed anywhere else. The sins that were committed in Sodom and Gomorrah could be found in many cities of its day. And the nation of Israel in the time of the prophet Isaiah was no different than the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. So God refers to the nation of Israel and says of them metaphorically, you are rulers of Sodom and Gomorrah, Isaiah 1, 9 and 10. Unless the Lord of hosts had left us a few survivors, we would be like Sodom. We would be like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. He's referring to the nation of Israel. But he calls them as though they were people of Sodom and Gomorrah, for they were doing the same things. Secondly, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were not the epitome of sinfulness. In other words, not only were the same sins that Sodom and Gomorrah committing, committed elsewhere, including in the very nation of Israel itself, but also the degree of sinfulness in Sodom and Gomorrah did not exceed the sinfulness in the cities round about them, nor in the nation of Israel from time to time. Israel, in the time of Jeremiah, was more sinful than the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah. Let me say that to you again. 
Israel in the time of Jeremiah was more sinful than the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah. Lamentations 4.6 For the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than the sin of Sodom. That's God's word. For the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than the sin of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment, and two hands were turned toward her. In Ezekiel, again, referring to Israel as though they were Sodom and Gomorrah. Ezekiel 16, 46. Now your older sister is Samaria who lives north of you with her daughters. And your younger sister who lives south of you is Sodom with her daughters. You have not merely walked in their ways or done according to their abominations. But if as that were too little, you acted more corruptly in all your conduct than they. As I live, declares the Lord, Sodom, your sister, and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. Again, an emphasis that in Israel it was worse than anything that had ever transcribed or took place, transpired or took place in Sodom and Gomorrah. So they're not the epitome. They're not the worst. They're not the most awful place on the face of humanity by any means. The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were not alone in deserving judgment for their sinfulness. That is a recurrent theme throughout the Old Testament, that the nation of Israel was deserving of judgment like that of Sodom and Gomorrah. Isaiah 1.9 Unless the Lord of hosts had left us a few survivors, we would be like Sodom. We would be like Gomorrah. In the New Testament, listen to these words of Jesus. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You shall descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained until this day. Nevertheless, I say to you, that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Jesus says to the city of Capernaum, it's going to be more tolerable in the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than it's going to be for you. Sodom and Gomorrah is an example, not of the epitome of sinfulness, not of the uniqueness of sinfulness, and not of the judgment of sinfulness, but of the reality of the judgment of God upon sinfulness. It is used as an object lesson to show what God really thinks of wickedness. And so we have throughout the New Testament and Old Testament examples where God, for one brief moment, allows us to see the wickedness of sin. So that 
For example, Ananias and Sapphira, if you remember the story, lied to the Holy Spirit and they fell down dead. They were not the first to lie to the Holy Spirit and they are not the last. There are many that could be judged for having lied to the Holy Spirit. And yet, God shows what he thinks of that, of lying to the Holy Spirit, by showing what it's deserving of. And so they become the example. Not that they were the worst, not that they were the only, but it's in keeping with the way in which God will judge. That's a particular passage that was used in my life to bring me to place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I was a little boy. I was about five or six years old. My mother would uh, read Bible stories to me uh, every single night. And she would impress upon me the need to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. One night I said, I wanted to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. I didn't. I just wanted to get her off my case. I bowed my head, pretended to pray. I raised my head. She said, oh, that's wonderful. Now you're a believer. Now you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The preaching stopped, but the Bible stories continued. And three nights later, we hit the story of Ananias and Sapphira, who lied to the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, I realized what I had done. I lied to God. I lied to my mother about believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I really expected that I was going to die. Because I came to realize that my sin was no different from that. And that it deserved punishment. It deserved destruction. And I then truly placed my faith in Jesus Christ and sought the forgiveness of sin. Secondly, in the comparison, the false teachers and those that follow them were guilty of the same kinds of sin as were the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Like Sodom and Gomorrah, the false teachers and those that followed them engaged in all forms of sexual immorality. Verse 7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh. They engaged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh. One example of that is found in Genesis 19. I'll just read the account. Two angels were sent to Sodom to speak to Lot concerning the destruction that would come. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening. And Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city when he saw them. He got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered. We will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we can have sex with them. And then there's the account of, of the um, unbelievable uh, action of Lot offering his uh, virgin daughters to these men. The, the, the sexual immorality was great. And we're to find... That like Sodom, the false teachers and those that follow them engage in all kinds of sexuality and immorality, verse 4 of Jude, ungodly persons who turn the grace of God into licentiousness. These people are driven by their sensual appetites, according to verse 16 of Jude, 
They are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lusts. They are arrogant, verse 16. And the false teachers and those that follow them acted like animals, verse 10. They acted like animals following their base instincts, the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals. They do what feels right. They are sensual. That which will bring pleasure. That which will bring delight. That which will bring physical delight. And then those instincts actually became perverted. Verse 7. And and NIV, in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. But this sexuality and perversion in the scriptures is actually a symbol of something worse. We have a tendency to think that, that, that that's what it was. That, that's what the evil was. No, no, that was symptomatic of something that was far worse that was going on deep down in the heart. These outward actions were simply a reflection of a heart that was far different and wicked. Listen to the words of Ezekiel chapter 16. If you can find it quickly in your Bibles, you may want to turn there. It's Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. But uh, listen, otherwise, Ezekiel 16, 46. Now your older sister is Samaria, who lives north of you with her daughters. And your younger sister, who lives south of you, is Sodom with her daughters. Yet you have not merely walked in their ways or done according to their abominations, but as if that were too little, you acted more corruptly in your conduct than they. See, that's the key. You acted more corruptly than they. You did the same things, but worse. As I live, declares the Lord God, Sodom, your sister, and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister, Sodom. This is what God found them guilty of. This is the guilt of your sister, Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance, abundant food, careless ease, but they did not help the poor and needy. Thus, they were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore, I removed them. It was their arrogance. It was their pride. It was their rejection of God's authority. That's what God found fault with. And it was just one tangible manifestation of the rejection of His authority, the sexual immorality that they engaged in. But you see, that's why it's used an example of Jude, verse 4, those that deny the authority of Jesus Christ. That's what it gets back to. That their lives are not directed or ordered or directed by the commands and teaching of Scripture. Instead, they act like animals following their own instincts rather than listening to, heeding to, following the Word of God. I'll say much more about that in the weeks to come as we work through this passage. But today, we focus on this third element. And that is, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah are examples of the severity of God's judgment. That's why they're brought into this. They are examples 
of the severity of God's judgment. Look at verse 7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example. An example of what? Next phrase. In undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. They are an example of the reality of the punishment of eternal fire. There are those that are teaching today, and rather vociferously, that there is no such thing as hell. And that the Bible itself does not teach the reality of hell. However, the Word of God says that Sodom and Gomorrah are examples of punishment of eternal fire. So, first, Sodom and Gomorrah serve as an example of the kind of judgment that false teachers and those that follow them undergo. A judgment as by fire. Notice the end of verse 7. And undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. The judgment that came in the form of fire and brimstone as opposed to warring nation or any ordinary plague. In other words, the punishment of God was not that he sent a, another country against them. Or the punishment of God was not that they experienced great poverty. Or that the punishment of God was that they experienced a lot of emotional unrest or angst in their lives. So that is becoming more and more popular in religious circles to talk about hell as hell on earth. And I'm sure you've all heard that phrase, right? This is a living hell or hell on earth. As though the consequences, the anguish, the hardship, the miseries of this life are the fulfillment of hell. That's pretty much where Rob Bell comes in. His take is pretty much, well, yes, there's a hell in the sense that people who reject Christ today, their lives are much more miserable than what they, they would be if they believed in Christ. But nothing about an eternal punishment. Nothing about a lake of fire. However, hell is not just a judgment a euphemism for judgment, for bad times now. The Word of God repeatedly refers to the reality of hell. Matthew 3.12 And his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly cleanse his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. How bad is hell? How awful is hell? How miserable is hell? We, we can't get our minds around that. That, that, that's, that is totally incomprehensible to us. How bad hell is. So to try to give us just an inkling, just to try to open our awareness just 
a little bit just to try to increase our capacity to understand the, the horrific nature of hell. Listen to these pretty amazing words. Matthew 18, 8. And if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. Throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than having two hands or two feet to be cast into eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes to be cast into the fiery hell. You see, there are those that would say, well, that is hell. That is hell. Being without a hand, being without an eye, by suffering great pain. Well, well, that's what hell is. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not hell. You'd be far better off to be without a hand or without an eye than to be cast into hell. Nothing, nothing, nothing that we could ever experience now could be compared to the horrific aspect of that point. So Sodom and Gomorrah serve as an example of the devastating nature of the judgment. It is referred to in verse 7 of Jude as eternal fire. Eternal fire. Um, I didn't uh, print these verses out, so let me uh, quickly uh, turn in uh, Genesis chapter 19. Genesis 19. Genesis 19, verse 23. The sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zor. He flees from Gomorrah at the warning and at the uh, impulse of the angels. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. He overthrew those cities and all the valley and the inhabitants of the cities of what grew on the ground. So this is the example of that, of that judgment, of fire and brimstone. And that's where we get the term of fire and brimstone preaching when we refer to, to hell. But Psalm and Gomorrah are examples of that devastation. Deuteronomy 29, verse 23 says this, All its land is brimstone and salt, a burning waste, 
unsown and unproductive. No grass grows in it like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adama and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and in his wrath. The scripture depicts that in the next day, Genesis 19.27, Now Abraham arose early in the morning and went to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the city. And he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land ascended like the smoke of a furnace. There would be a lot of comparison that could be drawn between Sodom and Gomorrah and Hiroshima. And one of the comparisons could be the ongoing devastation. You know, when that atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima, it had an effect for generations. People were experiencing cancer. Babies were born with all kinds of of mutations. It was horrendous. It wasn't just something that happened for a day. It was something that had an effect for a long, long period of time. That's part of our history. That's part of our experience. That's something that we can relate to. But what we often overlook about Sodom and Gomorrah is that that devastation was not just for that day, but it lasted for hundreds and hundreds of years. Deuteronomy says that it was still barren in the time of of Moses. Jeremiah 50, verse 40, And when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah with its neighbors, declares the Lord, No man will live there, nor will any son of man reside in it. It was devastated into the future. Listen to this quote from the word biblical commentary. The idea is that the site of the cities in antiquity, located on the south of the Dead Sea, a scene of sulfurous devastation, provided ever-present evidence of the reality of divine judgment. This is partly why the example was so often cited and why the particular features of the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah, fire and brimstone, the smoking, uninhabitable waste. Right until the time of the New Testament writers, nobody inhabited Sodom and Gomorrah. It was good for nothing. You couldn't grow anything there. It was a destruction like no other destruction that ever has taken place in the history of mankind. It's not an overstatement. There there is no other comparison. There is nothing like it. But God did it to show us what He thinks, not just about Sodom and Gomorrah, but that haughtiness that rejects the authority of God and the reality that there is coming a future judgment of which this is just a small glimpse of. Psalm Gomorrah serve as an example of the reality of God's judgment. 2 Peter 3.7 But the present heavens and earth by His word are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Revelation 14.9 And another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead or upon his hand, 
he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb. The Bible affirms that God indeed will judge. It is typical of our day to question how could a loving God ever send someone to hell? And that is seen to trump all things. Hence the name of Rob Bell's book, Love Wins. Love Wins. The love of God will win out. There will not be eternal punishment. Sodom and Gomorrah is an example that love doesn't win out. That the holiness and justice of God is going to be manifested. Hell is real. And furthermore, there is not one iota There is not one indication in the scripture that after a man or woman dies that they're going to have a second chance to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9.27 And as much as it is appointed for men to die once and after this the judgment. You see, the rejection of Jesus Christ is a significant matter. Again, the words of Jesus, Matthew eleven twenty three, And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it would be more tolerable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Sodom and Gomorrah serve as a warning to all who would come after. The admonition of Jude chapter 1, verse 3, is contend for the faith. Contend for the faith. Why? Because there are going to be people who come in among the people of God, a people whose condemnation has been written about long before, according to verse 4, who are going to deny the lordship of Jesus Christ. And in that denial, they're just going to reject his right to rule over them and just decide to live any way that they want to live. God says that that ends in destruction. And so, just once in the history of mankind, God revealed the reality of that judgment. Not because Sodom was worse than any other city. Not because they had done things that nobody else had done. But in order to be example to everyone else of the reality of this judgment. And so we are called upon to contend for the faith. To stand up for the truth of the word of God. Because we started off by saying, Jeremiah 23, 14, also among the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing, the committing of adultery and walking in falsehood, and they strengthened the hand of evildoers 
so that no one has turned back from their wickedness. All of them become to me like Sodom and the inhabitants of Gomorrah. Why do we have to contend for the faith? Because there are people who are standing up and they're strengthening the hands of unbelievers by saying there is no hell. There is no judgment. There is nothing to fear. There is a hell. There is a judgment. And there is much to fear. Only 13% of Americans believe that. 13% of Americans believe that there is a hell. And why don't they? In the most famous preaching school in the United States of America, when asked how many had taught ever on the doctrine of hell, not one single hand went up. Is it any wonder that people don't believe in a hell? Is it any wonder that people believe that love will win out? Is it any wonder that people reject the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ? We must stand for the faith. And yes, yes, one aspect of that faith is the reality of judgment and the doctrine of hell. We cannot, we cannot abandon the scriptures and what it teaches about hell. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. There is so much more that we could say. We could obviously speak of your grace and your long-suffering spirit, even towards Sodom and Gomorrah, how uh, as Abraham pled with you that you would not destroy the city if 50 righteous pe- people can be found there, and 40, and then 30, and then 20, and only 10 even. But yet, it, 10 righteous people could not be found. Uh, Lord, uh, Help us to see how important this doctrine is and what a responsibility it is for us in our day to contend for the faith. When we think, when we think that 87, excuse me, 88% of people believe in a heaven, but only 13% believe in a hell. We believe in a heaven and most Americans believe everybody's going to be there. Lord, it's an unpleasant but yet vital truth that we tell people the true way. For we don't want them to experience eternal judgment and damnation. Jesus provided us this example in the Word of God. This isolated case just to move us to a place of repentance. Oh Lord, grant that repentance. Grant that preaching of your Word. Deliver your people. Lord, may there be many who come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and escape this horrific, eternal damnation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.